I'm Carl Hallecker, and welcome to Book Chat. Today we'll be discussing this magnificent volume, the third edition of the Phillies Encyclopedia. And joining us are the co-authors, Rich Westcott, who uh, Rich has been here before to discuss uh, two of his books, most recently Native Sons, about ball players who grew up in the Philadelphia area. And joining us uh, from Rochester, New York, where he's a columnist for the Democrat Chronicle newspaper, Frank Belofsky. Uh, and Frank, before Rochester, spent 19 years covering the Phillies for the Philadelphia Bulletin. So welcome, Frank, and Thank welcome, you. Rich. Thank you. Uh, Frank, the third edition of the Phillies Encyclopedia, it's kind of a nice way to celebrate the opening of the new Citizens Bank Park. How long has it been between editions? Uh, Carl, it's been 11 years since the last edition, uh, which came out right uh, before the 1993 season. Uh, since those, in those 11 years, we've had that great 93 team. Uh, Pretty good 2001 team, uh, decent team last year, and uh, the other eight we will not talk about. All righty, we will uh, we will read about them perhaps. We'll, we'll read about them, but we will not talk about them. Uh, Rich, the book uh, is full of, of funny and exciting stories. One that uh, stuck out in my mind was about Tug McGraw, how he described his pitch that struck out Willie Wilson in the 1980s World Series as being the slowest fastball thrown in the history of baseball. What was that about? Well, Tug, uh, of course, came into the ninth inning, and uh, when the call went down to the bullpen for him to warm up in the uh, prior to the eighth inning when he came in, um, the field, as you recall, uh, was surrounded by police dogs and horses and the policemen uh, in an attempt to try to keep the crowd from running out onto the field. So uh, Tug's glove was lying on the, the ground in the bullpen, and uh, when he went to pick it up, the, one of the police dogs had his head uh, on the glove, he was fast asleep, and Tug went to get, get the glove, and uh, he thought twice about it and stopped, and the handler said, well, I'll get it for you, and when he got the glove, it was all full of slobber, <laughs> and uh, the handler said, well, let me get a towel and wipe it off, and Tug said, no, 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 he said, leave it there, I might need it. Uh, so eventually, Tug went into the game, and uh, of course, uh, the Phillies hadn't won a, a World Series in their 97 years. So ultimately, uh, Tug struck out Willie Wilson to uh, end the game, and the Phillies won their first World Series. So in the clubhouse, uh, the writers were surrounding Tug and asking him uh, various things, and uh, somebody asked him what kind of a pitch that was uh, that he threw to Wilson and, uh, to strike him out. And Tug said it was the uh, slowest fastball in the history of baseball. And uh, so he was asked, well, how, do you, how can you figure that? And Tug said it took 97 years to get there. 97 years. <laughs> Slow fastball on Dean. I guess it's kind of ironic that the year the Phillies do win the pennant is the year the team went to the dogs, right? <laughs> That's right. I'd say that. <laughs> Frank, uh, within the book, there's uh, uh, unfortunately many examples of what you call terrible managers, horrendous trades, and incompetent owners. Can you uh, give us a few painful examples? Sure. Uh, owners, for example, uh, in, from the 19, <clears throat> early 19th century, or early 20th century, up to the time the Carpenters bought the team in the 40s, uh, the two main owners were uh, William Baker and Gerald Nugent. Uh, during that period, the Phillies were just terrible, with few exceptions. Uh, Baker was a very wealthy man who wanted to spend none of his own money on the team therefore was constantly trading players to, in effect, make play payroll, training his stars. When Nugent took over, 
it wasn't his fault, but he had virtually no money and was also trading his stars for that reason. Uh, as far as trades, uh, we in the book we list the, ta the 12 best, 12 worst trades. Uh, two of the worst trades <clears throat> that I always think about. Uh, in making trades, there's a, usually call it a throw-in. You'll sweeten the pot for a team. Over in the 60s and the 80s, the Phillies made two trades with the Cubs in which they sweetened the pot by throwing in an extra player. One was Ferguson Jenkins, who became a Hall of Famer. One was Ryan Sandberg, who will be a Hall of Famer eventually. So this was typical of some of the worst things that the Phillies ever did. Right, and, and yet both of you say, despite the terrible managers and some of the horrendous trades, that you consider the Phillies a successful franchise over the year. Why is that, Rich? Um, well, for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, you start from the premise that the Phillies uh, have one of the worst records in baseball history. Lost, uh, finished last more than any other team uh, has ever done. Uh, at one point, they lost uh, 23 games in a row, which is a, a distinction that no other team has. Uh, they finished uh, or lost more than 100 games five straight years. Uh, no other team can make that claim. Um, at one point, they had one first division finish in a period of. Uh, uh, 30, 32 years, uh, which is also uh, something that the Phillies can can only claim. Having said all that, though, uh, the Phillies have had uh, a fascinating franchise. For one reason being, one reason being that uh, they had so many colorful players, and even though some of them weren't too good, uh, they were interesting. They were colorful. The Phillies played in a lot of. Uh, uh, s several colorful ballparks that were pretty interesting, uh, especially Baker Ball and Shy Park. Um, they had some some interesting things that happened to them over the years. They had colorful nicknames uh, on many of the players. So it was overall just a very interesting franchise uh, from that standpoint, despite their record. Right. Well, if Frank, uh, too, along those lines, and maybe contributing to the fact that being ultimately successful. They uh, have them have made some good trades and they had to have some good managers. How about a couple of those? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> without a question, the, the best trade they ever made was in 1973, or 1972, excuse me, before the season started. In spring training, they traded Rick Wise, who was their best player coming out of the 71 season, to the Cardinals for Steve Carlton. At the time, it was a very unpopular trade in Philadelphia. Uh, because for that very reason, Rick Wise was the star on a bad mm -hmm. team. And why the feeling was, why are we trading Rick Wise? The guy had pitched a no hitter the year before he had, uh, done, you know, hit, he was a great hitter too. Uh, as it turned out, it was a great trade. And, uh, I don't think there's any question that was the best trade they ever made. They got a hall of fame pitcher <clears throat> for a guy who became a very good major league pitcher, but nowhere near what Carlton was. Uh, managers, I've always felt that the best manager the Phillies ever had was Gene Mock, and that's with, uh, you know, apologies to a lot of really good managers. Mm -hmm. But Gene, knew, uh, I covered Gene for, uh, in my years with the Bull, and he knew more about baseball than any two men I've ever met in my life. His only problem was that he tended to overmanage good teams. Mm -hmm. Well, I just from remembering from my early days, too, I would certainly agree with those assessments. 
something in a book that was very painful to me as a longtime Phillies fan. You uh, mentioned that in 1960, the Phillies could have had an outfield of three Hall of Famers, Al Kaline, Carl Yastrzemski, and Hank Aaron. What happened there? Well, uh, what happened was uh, probably one of the most <laughs> tragic moments or, or episodes in Phillies history. Um, the Phillies had the possibility of signing all three of those players uh, in the 50s. K-Line uh, was a young kid, came up from, uh, from Baltimore for a tryout, and the Phillies uh, uh, were very inter interested in signing him, but they were also interested at that time in signing pitchers, kids who could throw hard and who uh, uh, they thought would uh, be able to help the team. Well, it came down to K-Line and, and uh, a pitcher, and uh, they decided to sign uh, the pitcher, who was a guy named Tom Qualters, who, as it turned out, never won a game for the Phillies. Uh, in the case of Yastrzemski, uh, he also came here for a tryout, and uh, he was offered uh, $90,000 to sign with the Phillies, and his father, who had brought him down from Boston, said, no, we really want 100000 And they went back and forth, and the Phillies uh, wouldn't come up that extra 10000 So uh, Yastrzemski and his dad got in their pickup truck and went back to the Boston area. And then finally, Hank Aaron had had tryouts with various major league teams. Uh, one of them was the Phillies. And uh, they were, again, impressed with him. But uh, uh, the way they left it uh, was, don't call us, we'll call you. And they never called him. So Hank Aaron went on to uh, uh, a Hall of Fame career elsewhere and thus uh, ended the possibility of the Phillies having uh, uh, probably the greatest outfield in baseball history. <clears throat> so far and yet so far, right? Right. Um, Frank, how would you describe the Phillies' relationship with minorities as compared to uh, <clears throat> other teams and their relationship with minorities? Uh, very badly at first. Uh, they were the last National League team to integrate. Uh, when they finally did integrate, they signed a player named John Kennedy, who was an infielder <laughs> who played, I think it was five games with them, batted maybe five times, uh, was never heard from again. Uh, their first superstar, African-American, was Dick Allen, who they handled the situation in his second year very badly. Uh, the fans turned on him. He was never able to achieve the greatness that, that was certainly in him. He became very, almost a bitter man, and uh, probably that cost him a Hall of Fame career. Uh, their, the relationship for at least the early in early on was was very bad. Right, and of course the uh, whole incident with Jackie Robinson. And yeah, ben exactly. Shelton. I mean, this goes back to even uh, even before that when uh, when baseball integrated and uh, the Phillies as a team and especially their manager were about as the worst that anyone was toward Jackie. Rich, talking about the early years of the Phillies, how long have the Phillies been around in the, and how exactly were they formed? Well, the Phillies uh, began in 1883. Uh, the franchise uh, had previously been the Worcester Brownstockings, a uh, team located in Massachusetts. And when that franchise folded, uh, the Phillies uh, picked up the remains of it and uh, uh, the remains were picked up and brought to Philadelphia where a man named Al Reach uh, became the first owner. Uh, so the Phillies began their National League, uh, uh, first National League season in Recreation Park in 1883. 
and uh, had uh, uh, a not exactly terrific year that year. Uh, they won 17 games and lost 81. <laughs> um, but things quickly turned around, and uh, Reach hired a man named Harry Wright, who became a, a Hall of Famer. And uh, uh, soon thereafter, Wright started to put uh, a pretty good team together. And uh, one of those uh, early players who was pretty good was a guy named Ed Delahanty, who mm-hmm. was uh, arguably the probably the best hitter in Phillies history. He's uh, has a career 245, 345 uh, batting average, fourth highest in Major League history. And uh, he was one of the early Phillies greats, as was another player named Billy Hamilton. Uh, and the third player, whose name was Sam Thompson, uh, formed uh, for the Phillies uh, in the uh, 1890s a Hall of Fame outfield. All three went to the Hall of Fame. So the Phillies had uh, uh, some pretty decent years in the late 1800s. Okay, uh, Frank, let's move on a little past 1800s. And how would you describe the Phillies from basically the turn of the 20th century to uh, World War II era? Uh, Carl, I'd say kind of the opposite of what Rich just said. Uh, They were really bad teams with a few exceptions. Uh, 1915, when they won their first pennant and their only pennant until 1950, until the WizKids, was a a fine team uh, with a Hall of Fame pitcher, Grover Cleveland Alexander, another Hall of Famer, pitcher at Barixi. Uh It was a, a good, solid team that came close to winning the whole thing, uh, lost in five games to the uh, Red Sox, but <clears throat> played, played them really, really tough in those games. After that, uh, they, they just hit on bad times. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they had no money. They, they had good play- some good players, as we said before, but uh, not enough of them, and what, whichever ones they had would be here for a couple of years and then would be moved on. Good. Okay, you just touched upon the 50 Phillies. Uh, Rich, why don't you pick that up and tell us a little bit about the, the Wiz kids, what uh, made them so special, and, and what happened to them the following year? Uh, people are still trying to figure that out. <laughs> uh, the Wiz kids were, of course, the uh, 1950 team that uh, was so named because they had a lot of young players on the team. Uh, people like Robin Roberts and Richie Ashburn, Dell Ennis, uh, Kurt Simmons, all in their early 20s, and uh, hence the team became known as the Wiz Kids. even though there were some veteran players on the team, Andy Semenik, uh, Eddie Wakis, and, and some others. Uh, but the Wiz Kids uh, ha- wound up capturing the first Phillies pennant in 35 years, and in so doing became probably one of the most popular athletic teams in Philadelphia sports history. Uh, they went down to the last game of the season, won the pennant on a three-run homer by Dick, Dick Sisler in the 10th uh, inning, uh, beating the Brooklyn Dodgers, and uh, then went to the World Series where uh, they lost four straight to the New York Yankees, which uh, wasn't uh, uh, too embarrassing at that point because the Yankees were in the midst of uh, five straight World Series victories. After 1950, uh, the Phillies kind of uh, disappeared from the scene, and even though the 50 team they was expected to uh, continue for a good many years as a contender, uh, they weren't. And the 51 team uh, slid down the hill very, very uh, quickly and, and finished, I believe it was uh, fifth place. And uh, so a lot of the players uh, never had the kinds of years that they had in 1950 again. And uh, especially in 51, they, a lot of the players slumped and had pretty bad years. And, 
And so the Phillies really never got back in the picture as a, as a top-level contender after that. It really uh, fell quickly. Frank, before when you were talking, you had mentioned you felt that Gene Mock was the greatest manager in Phillies history. But during the 1970s, so to speak, we had what, what you call the golden decade when Danny Ozark was a manager. Uh, who were some of the key players <coughs> during this uh, golden decade? And what made Danny Ozark a successful manager? Well, some of the key players, uh, Carl, were uh, people like Greg Luzinski, Mike Schmidt, all came, Bob mm -hmm. Boone. Uh, they all came in kind of together at the beginning of the, of the, the decade, uh, blossomed together. And by Danny Ozark was probably the perfect manager for that team because it was a team that was very self-motivational. A player like Dave Cash came in, taught them how to win. Uh, Carlton was a, a great self-motivator. And Danny was a low-key type of manager who was just a, a great uh, teacher of fundamentals, but had no ego, very, uh, very nice, mild-mannered man who was just perfect for that team. And uh, as Paul always kept making trades for, for more players, Pete Rose joined the team, and there was another man who, who was a, a leader, and Danny was just perfect for that team. All right, thanks. Rich, as a matter of fact, this book is dedicated to Paul Owens and Tug McGraw. Uh, can you tell us in your mind what made those two so special? Well, um, uh, we dedicated this book. We had not dedicated either of the two previous editions, and this, the, so this was the first time. And uh, both McGraw and Owens uh, uh, were towering figures in uh, Philly's history, especially uh, in terms of the 1980 team, the club's only World Series winner. But more than, than what they did uh, in terms of baseball, they were great personalities. Uh, they were terrific guys uh, personally and, and with the press. And, uh, you know, when they, they both passed away uh, within a few weeks of each other, uh, which was uh, a terribly tragic time uh, in that, at, at that particular point, and it all of a sudden hit us that uh, because of these people, these two people were, were such integral parts of Philly's history that uh, it would be uh, uh, nice to dedicate the, a book on Philly's history to those two, and, and that's what we did. Well, certainly a fine and uh, fitting memorial for both those gentlemen. Uh, Rich, uh, how does this book compare to some of your other ones, especially the ones you've discussed on Book Chat before? Well, first of all, it's a lot heavier. Uh, <laughs> secondly, there are a lot more pages, and it's a much bigger book. But, uh, you know, this is an encyclopedia. Uh, this, this tells everything that ever happened to the Phillies and that anybody would want to know. And uh, uh, none of the other books I've done uh, could be considered encyclopedias. Uh, they're more topical. But uh, you know, this book, it weighs five and a half pounds, I think somebody said. It's got 660 or so pages. So it's, it's, an, it's an altogether different breed of cat than my other 15 books. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Frank, um, in the book you mentioned 35 Phillies are Hall of Famers. How does this stack up with uh, other teams and uh, which um, are some of the greatest of the great? Well, it's, it's uh, interesting. It stacks up. It's a, it's a lot of Hall of Famers, but the, the problem is that a lot of these guys had kind of peripheral careers with the Phillies 
compared to their, their, their whole body of work. Uh, a Hack Wilson, mm -hmm. for example, uh, played briefly for the Phillies. Uh, there were several like that who didn't make their Hall of Fame careers as Phillies. The ones who did, obviously, are people like Mike Schmidt, uh, Richie Ashburn, Robin Roberts, Steve Carlton, for the most part, uh, Chuck Klein, uh, Grover Cleveland Alexander for a large part of his career. Uh, and then the ones that Rich had mentioned earlier in the, uh, the pre-20th century uh, players such as Delahanty and uh, Hamilton and Thompson. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, ones, uh, those are the ones who I think mm -hmm. made the, the greatest contribution to the team. Fine. Uh, in, uh, during the break, we were talking about, both told me you were at the opening game at the New Citizens Bank Park. How does the st stadium, Rich, compare to some of the uh, other ones that the Phillies played in? Well, it's no Baker Bowl and it's no Scheib Park, and uh, <laughs> you could say it's not the vet either. It's totally different. Uh, it's a magnificent facility. Um, it's an Anasagunas baseball park with real grass, and uh, there are a lot of things there for the fans to do. Uh, architecturally, it's 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 absolutely gorgeous, and uh, it's it's vastly different. Uh, the Phillies have it's the fifth park the Phillies have played in, and each one had its own distinctive features. Um, Baker Bowl, for instance, uh, had the right field wall that uh, was part of its uh, lore. Uh, Scheib Park and then the Vet um, were all parks with their own particular personalities, um, but this park uh, far exceeds any of its predecessors and uh, uh, should be uh, uh, a major drawing card for the Phillies for years and years. Uh, let me ask you this, Frank. You had a great uh, column there about the 20 most influential Phillies people of all time. Can you just briefly uh, give us maybe the top 10? Well, I can talk a little mm -hmm. bit about uh, the top one for sure, okay, which is uh, he never played for the Phillies. Never played a game in the major leagues, in fact, but he was uh, by far the most influential man in Philly's history. That was Paul Owens, mm -hmm. who uh, pretty much put together that, that, golden, that golden decade, first as a scout, then as a farm director, then as a general manager who uh, came in in 72, made incredible trades. At the, during the 72 season, he went down on the field became the field manager because he said he wanted to see what this team was made of so that when he went back upstairs, he could make the trades that were necessary. Uh, again, in 83, he came down on the field in midseason when he felt the team was uh, not doing as well as it could. And they went on to win the, the National League pennant that year, too. Great. Well, Frank, I think the, uh, for the other 19 people, uh, our viewers are going to have to get a hold of your book to find out who they are. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to thank Rich and Frank today for uh, sharing the information on this wonderful book, The Phillies Encyclopedia, third edition. This will make a great gift for any Phillies fan, male or female, and it may even save a lot of marriages uh, because of arguments that might evolve out of uh, who had the best average in a certain year. So uh, Phillies Encyclopedia, third edition. Thank you, Rich and Frank, for joining us today on Book Chat.